Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Naked Exchange. As usual, I'm Lucy and I'm Virginie and we're here to discuss sex, love, relationships and anything else that strikes our fancy. Today's episode will be about a topic that many have difficulties talking about, sexual assault. So we both had the amazing opportunity to see Tarana Burke, um, who is a civil rights activist from the Bronx, New York. Um, and she founded the Me Too movement. And she came to speak at uh, UBCO earlier this week. Um, and it was a really amazing, powerful talk that we both you know, just really found very um, empowering and motivating and, and upsetting as well, I think, because it touches a lot of people, this, this topic. Um, and so I guess we, we felt motivated to have uh, this week's episode focus on yeah sexual assault and sexual violence and maybe just have a bit of a think about what that means and um we've got some definitions for you we've got some statistics for you and maybe just a bit about um support what you can do to help yourself maybe help others and maybe just a bit of a, a think about you know why is this a thing unfortunately absolutely and you know when i when i was listening to tarana speak one of the things that she said that really resonated with me is that you have power now um, and you'll always learn and grow and add to it but you have power now and so we mentioned in our last episode that we're both survivors of sexual assault and as a result this is a really important topic for us because of course we'd love to live in a world where this never happens to anyone ever yeah. mm -hmm. And what can we do about it? Well, we're doing this. We're trying to open up the conversation, <laughs> yeah. have a discussion, and make sure that you have a space to maybe ask questions or share your stories mm. with us. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I maybe took away from her talk was that Me Too is really about doing that, you know, that talking about it is one of the biggest things that we can do to really try and facilitate change because um, when we don't talk about things they stay hidden they stay taboo um, and people feel isolated and alone and that this is something that nobody else experiences just them and so yeah by opening the conversation we can hopefully make it more public and then more people feel you know able to talk about it and that's how we that's how we hopefully can facilitate change. And if, you know, not for our generation, then hopefully future generations coming down the line. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to start the conversation with maybe some definitions. Um, and we are in Canada, so we are going to use Canadian statistics, definitions, and language. Um, and regardless of where you're listening to us from, make sure that you're checking out your local legislation and, and the definitions there. Right. So, for example, Canada has a very broad definition of sexual assault, and it includes all unwanted sexual activity, such as unwanted sexual grabbing, kissing, fondling, uh, rape, penetration, etc. Mm. And, and sexual violence is any sexual act or attempt to obtain a sexual act by violence or force. So this includes unwanted sexual comments or advances, selling or attempting to sell someone for sex, and acts of violence directed against an individual because of their sexuality, regardless of the relationship to the victim. Mm. Yeah, uh, really important um, just to highlight in sexual assault that the key word there I think is unwanted. So it's, it's really anything that you feel um, is a, a boundary for you 
that is pushed, that is crossed, that is unwanted, um, would really fall under that category. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just some statistics to kind of maybe put this a bit more in context. So again, uh, we're in Canada and we're we're in the province of British Columbia. So in British British Columbia, there are over one thousand physical or sexual assaults against women every week. And every year in British Columbia, there are over 60,000 physical or sexual assaults against women, and almost all of them are committed by men. Uh, over half of all women in British Columbia have experienced physical or sexual violence since the age of 16, and so that's more than a million women in our province. And over 60% of British Columbians personally know one woman who has been physically or sexually assaulted. And then taking it uh, worldwide, um, this statistic does apply to Canada, but it, it also actually um, can be applied worldwide as well, that one in three women will experience some form of sexual assault in their lifetime. And for men, it's one in six. And then thinking about the prevalence of sexual assault, it's such a huge number of us have been affected by this, yet only 12% of sexual assaults are reported to the police. And of the sexual assault cases that are reported and substantiated by the police, only 12%, and that's about one in 10, actually results in a criminal conviction. So that's a really, really tiny part of all of the sexual assaults that happen mm. that are ever reported and an even tinier part that result in a criminal conviction. And then when you think about intersectional feminism, you know, you have to look at how other factors will affect these statistics and so for example women with disabilities so being women already are quite vulnerable but women with disabilities are three times as likely to be sexually assaulted mm. um, the self-reported rate of sexual assault of indigenous women is more than triple that of non-indigenous women and overall people who identify as lgbtqia are at greater risk of sexual violence with trans folks being the most vulnerable. So yeah, so this is huge numbers and obviously these are just the reported statistics um, and I think we can probably both agree that we know that the figures actually are, are much higher um, but there's just so much that either goes unreported um, because people don't want to report um, or maybe they're not, they're not able to. They're not able to report. Yeah, and, and you know, for those of you who are listening, uh, I'd like you to think about your five closest female friends and think of the fact that maybe one and probably two, probably more than two, mm -hmm. have had an experience of sexual assault that they maybe haven't even talked to you about. Yeah. And so, for example, I know for me, my friend group, um, it really angers me actually, but almost all of my friends have mm -hmm. had some sort of, of sexual violence or sexual assault um, that they have felt comfortable enough to talk with me about, but none of them, none of us have reported anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely echo that. Um, I know a large group of my friends um, who I, at least that I know of, um, have, you know, been victims of either uh, assault, rape or violence or all three. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I know any of them that have reported anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot oftentimes people say, well, if, if this happened, why didn't they report it? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about 
everyone else, but I know that when I went through my experience, uh, well, one of my experiences, um, I actually went to a lawyer and the lawyer said, you know, because you don't have physical evidence of what happened, mm. what they're going to do is they're going to destroy your reputation and nothing's going to happen to the person, but what is going to happen to you is going to be terrible. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I had a conversation with a lawyer who actually told me, don't report. Right. Yeah. And I think that's quite common. And I know that um, the police um, do their best, I think, to um, support people in these situations but actually that is the reality Mm -hmm. um that even if these do get to court or go to trial um that often it is very difficult um if there is no physical evidence for any crime you know we know that it's just very difficult to get a conviction based on someone's story Mm -hmm. um and so yes it is the reality that you have to consider um do i want to put myself through another trauma where this is going to maybe impact my life for um, many months, maybe years, and the outcome will be that nothing will happen. Yeah. Um, and I th- and I think that's important. You know, wh- there's maybe there is that conflict, and and there is an argument to be made for, um, you know, the more people report, um, again, the more normalized it becomes, and the more precedent that's set, um, for potential um, convictions to be made. Um, and I think that's a fair point, but we do have to consider that um, these are individual women with lives mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily that the onus should be on them to carry that responsibility. You know, that they do have to consider how this might impact their individual lives. And if that's not something that they're prepared to go through, then then that's their choice. Yeah. You know, and I think as well, an- another thing that we've talked about, um, you might not realize or remember or really just put two and two together that something has happened to you until maybe many years after the the event um and i think that brings up lots of questions for people again similarly to what you've just said like oh why didn't you report you know why did you not why are you only speaking up about this now when it happened maybe you know 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, And yeah, again, to anyone listening to this, it's completely normal. It's a traumatic response to block things out. Um, Or maybe, you know, something just happened in a much more subtle way Mm -hmm. to the way that often sexual assault assault is portrayed in the media as being very overt and being very violent. And we know that actually that's not the most common way that it happens. Right. So what we see in the media in movies or Mm -hmm. TV shows, it's oftentimes a girl walking down the street who's dragged by her hair into an alleyway and horrible things happen to her. And so we have this really specific definition of what sexual violence looks like. because that's what we've been exposed to, you know, when you see like Law and Order, SVU yep, and yep. stuff like that, and oftentimes <laughs> that's that's what they're portraying. But the reality is the vast majority of us mm. who have had an experience of sexual violence is at the hands of somebody that we knew and yep. that we trusted. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so I would just really kind of say again that um, there is no time limit on your experience, you know, and um, if you suddenly start to maybe wonder about something that's happened or if something starts coming back to you, um, you know, that's that's normal. And 
and also just kind of coming back to reporting like well it's going to be really difficult to report something that maybe happened you know decades ago Mm -hmm. um and do you want to you know maybe actually your focus in that moment is going to be on your own personal kind of healing and doing that in the way that feels best to you and And, yeah and that is your personal journey Mm -hmm. and we just want to make sure that you know that we support you and we mm-hmm. we try to you know if, if somebody is listening to this and something comes up to them like reach out to us um we'll we'll be there to support you but you know before we continue with this conversation we need to talk about what is sexual assault mm-hmm. like you know you can't really have a conversation about assault without talking about consent right and so in canada the criminal code is what determines what consent is and the, the criminal code says that there is no consent when somebody says or does something that shows that they're not consenting to an activity. But then that also is somebody says or does something or doesn't do something that shows that they're not consenting to an activity. Right. So if you're just laying there and you're not moving and you're not participating, then that is not consent. Yeah. So th- it used to kind of be that there was this idea that no means no um and actually we're kind of moving away from that now and it more trying to think with people about actually yes means yes so if you haven't said anything then yeah you've not said no but you've also not said yes and so that's that's quite important when we're talking about consent is have you actually heard the person say yes and then that yes is not a permanent yes either, you know, yep. like the criminal code says that there's no consent when somebody says or does something to show that they're not agreeing to continue an activity that has already started. Right. So you may have said yes enthusiastically and then you're in the middle of it and you realize that you don't want to continue mm-hmm. and you express that you don't want to continue, then that means that you have removed your consent and any activity that continues beyond that Mm -hmm. is sexual assault right you can you have the capacity to withdraw your consent at any time and it's interesting because i think there's lots of situations where we would kind of like just know that so even when i think of maybe things like if you're like filling out a questionnaire or you maybe go to do like a trial or you're at the doctor's office and they often say that to you oh you know you can withdraw your consent at any time you know you can leave Um, and we kind of just go yeah I know that Mm -hmm. Um, but then oftentimes in sexual situations Mm -hmm. we seem to have this belief that well I said yes at the start therefore I have to like be with this till the very end yes um you know and that's really hard And, and there's often like I've heard jokes and stuff as well about um maybe particularly around and I don't want to stereotype but around maybe famous athletes or even like musicians who maybe say things like well I always get girls to sign a consent form Mm -hmm. before we start um and again it's like well actually that means nothing that that wouldn't stand up in a court of law because you can withdraw your consent at any time so the the minute you verbally withdraw your consent that form is null and void yeah even if you signed it 30 seconds before you changed your mind yeah um but you know again it's just it it does these messages make it hard for people to know that it's okay um to say i've changed my mind and and you know you have to be able to change your mind for there to be consent Mm. so for example if you're incapable of consenting because you're unconscious or because uh the person 
you know, maybe they took sleeping pills and mm -hmm. and they're through very heavily medicated sleep or they're under the influence of alcohol or drugs, then they're not capable of consenting to the activity. Yeah. And so anything that happens in that state is not wanted sexual contact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, that's something that I think gets thrown back at people. Um, you know, you were drunk, um, but almost like, well, then it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you know, in terms of what we're saying and what the law says, actually, if you're under the influence of any substance, you are incapable of consenting. So even if at the time you were verbally consenting, actually, and maybe you did want to, right, the law would say, no, that consent wasn't under the law. Def we wouldn't define that as consent. You're not able to. You don't have the capacity in that moment. And I think there's a there's a big conversation there that a lot, a lot of people are having, like, oh, but you know, it's my boyfriend, and we were both having drinks, mm -hmm. and is it sexual assault? Well, I think a big part of it is when you wake up after the event, how do you feel about it? Yeah. Like, are you feeling okay with it, or mm -hmm. is there you know, that heaviness in your stomach or you don't feel quite right or you mm. can't wait to get out of there because you don't feel good? Mm. Or are you waking up and it's all butterflies and sunshine mm. and, I mean, maybe you're hungover but you feel good about it? Yeah. I think that really can determine whether there there was wanted or unwanted sexual activity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose if people are listening to this and they're thinking like, oh, what, so, like, I can never have a drink and have sex? You know, again, like... I would really sort of kind of advise caution with alcohol if you are any way not sure about the situation, you know. So there's two more things to talk about consent that the criminal code talks about. Um, so for example, they say that consent cannot happen when it is as a result of someone abusing a position of trust, power, or authority. Yeah. And so whenever there's an imbalance of power, I'm thinking like a university professor and a student mm -hmm. or your supervisor at work and yourself or anything like that where your future, like your mm -hmm. career, be it mm -hmm. professional, academic, etc., mm -hmm. is at stake or you tr or they tr you trust them because they're in a position of authority, mm -hmm. then that is not consent. You can't actually consent to that. Yeah. Yeah, really important as well. You know, and again, I don't know, maybe people are thinking, oh, but I, maybe I did meet my partner that way and we're happy and we're together. It, you know, it, it's not that that can't happen, um, but I just think you have to be very, very boundaried in those situations um, and knowing your own boundaries um, and kind of trusting them. So trusting that sense maybe that you have inside you of whether this feels okay or not okay. And so uh, the final point is um, someone, uh, sorry, there's no consent if someone consents on someone else's behalf. Um, so that's just basically saying you can't consent for somebody else. Yeah, so let's say your best friend and you are at the bar and this cute person comes to you and is like, ooh, like I really like your friend. Do you think that I could go do this to them? Well, if you... Even if you say yes, that, you know, that's not legal consent because no. it's the other person who has to consent for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so I guess this, you know, these aspects of consent 
maybe kind of brought up some questions um, that we had, but also that I think are quite common questions that maybe get raised. And in fact, when we were at the talk with Trana Burke, for anyone that was there, um, there was like a live stream uh, question app that we were using so people could um, input questions and then they read some of them out. Um, and I did notice that somebody had asked the question, um, is it still sexual assault if I didn't fight back? Um, and that made me really sad and very angry um, because I think, you know, I understand why they said that. These questions are still very commonplace um, because of the stigma and the shame surrounding sexual assault. Um, but I guess we kind of wanted to maybe just open up some of these like quite maybe common questions or points that we hear mm -hmm. and just try and really kind of think about them. And so, yeah, that, that's one of them, which is, um, you know, if I didn't fight back, is it still sexual assault? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, a couple of things there. Um, biologically, our bodies, when we're in a trauma or a situation where we're under in danger, thank you, mm -hmm. um, our body will go into what typically you might have heard of as the fight or flight response. Um, which we know now actually um, has a third component, which is freeze. And so if we are in, feel like we're in danger, it's very common that we will freeze in order to protect ourselves. And so actually it's very common in that situation that you wouldn't fight back um, in order to protect yourself. Absolutely. And yeah. it's, and it's the bodies, you know, we think about humans and we are just very sophisticated animals at the end of the day and so this is our primitive brain trying to protect us mm, yeah. um, and by freezing you're conserving energy and you are trying to make sure that if there is an opportunity for you to run away or to not be killed you can maximize that yeah. and so that's what freezing does right it's that that moment of yeah. and and you might not even be aware that it's happening yeah i think that's a really good point because um it, it might be that you've experienced violence from this person and so you're very consciously aware that you're in physical danger, that might be the case, but it can equally be the case that this is someone that you've never met before, but it's just, as you're saying, it is a primal instinct that we have in our basic brain um, and if for whatever reason we get the sense that this is not an okay situation, we're not feeling comfortable, that response is activated in the brain straight away um, and it's almost involuntary um, we will kind of involuntary just go into that freeze mechanism um, where blood is being pumped like you said away from uh, the sort of areas where it's not needed into our muscles um, to help us freeze and stay very still and one of the areas it's pulled away from is the brain because we don't need to be making big philosophical decisions mm -hmm. when we're in that state we just need to stay as still as we can um, and survive and survive yeah and so that's a very common response so is it still sexual assault if they're my partner or spouse yes <laughs> and i think um, it was until uh, only recently in the yeah. last couple of decades that yeah. it was removed um from or i guess added to the potential lists of sexual assault because um, it used to be that if you were married then you could request and forcefully take sexual activity from your partner. Um, and this was only in 1999, sorry, 1991, yeah, that's which was, you know, this is in my lifetime yeah. that they removed marriage as a kind of like a, an exemption of sexual assault. Yeah. Um, and 
actually, I think there's still countries in the world where it's not exempt. Yes. Um, which is terrifying, but unfortunately the reality. Yeah. And so, Lucy, is it still sexual assault if I had sex with them before? Yes. So sometimes there can be an idea and maybe the sex that you had with them before was consensual and you enjoyed it. But each sexual experience in itself is a separate and unique experience. Um, and therefore, it might just be that that one particular time, for whatever reason, it was not, you weren't giving consent. That time was different. And it doesn't matter if bef every time up until that time, that might be a hundred times. Um, but if that one time there wasn't consent, then that is still sexual assault. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about if my body responded? And when we say that, we mean maybe we had an orgasm or an erection or some other biological response happened. Is that still sexual assault? It is. It is sexual assault because a biological response doesn't necessarily mean that there's consent there. So, you know, I think oftentimes guys will wake up and they have an erection in the morning and that doesn't mean that they're ready for sexual contact, right? Yep. It's just a biological response. And it's the yep. same thing with women or, you know, people who have vaginas, um, their body can produce lubricant mm -hmm. um, because it's a biological mechanism. It yep. doesn't necessarily mean that there's consent. And so, you know, I think a lot of times people say like, oh, well, how would a man ever be raped? You know, how could he be sexually assaulted? Because he needs to consent to have an erection. And that's not actually the case. It's no. oftentimes a very physiological response to being touched in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so is it still sexual assault if I was flirting with this person? Absolutely not. Flirting is not consent. So, you know, yeah, even if you are on a date with this person, maybe you really like this person, um, you know, but, you know, flirtation in itself um, is not an invitation for anything else other than flirtation. So if I'm wearing a really sexy skirt or if I'm wearing high heels and makeup or, you know, I'm just really wearing a really nice attire, um, does that mean that I wanted it? Absolutely not. And I think this is this is a dangerous one because people get upset about this. And I think, what are we really saying here? Are we saying that men don't have the self-control to not rape women that are wearing short skirts? I mean, really, like, you know, we can laugh, but that that's what we're saying there. And I think, you know, men, if, if there are men listening to this who maybe feel excluded from this kind of conversation, like, you know, this is a male issue because mm -hmm. you, sh you should be offended by the implication that you can't control yourself around a woman that's wearing a short skirt. I know there's, I remember seeing this meme of a, a woman um, who trained her dog mm. um, to sit and she puts a piece of meat in front of the dog and goes, no. And the dog is staying still mm. and is not eating the dog. And the caption is, if a dog can understand no, right. obviously <laughs> men can understand no too. And so I, I personally, I find that a little bit offensive towards men, you know, assuming that they yeah. have some sort of like lizard brain that is incapable of understanding no or, or the passion takes over and they can't make decisions. And well, that's just not true. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love mm. humans. I love men and I have wonderful men around me who 
would be very offended if yeah. I were to say that. Yeah, and we know that this dates back to just control and the patriarchy and that, you know, it was uh, expected that women would cover themselves for this idea of modesty. Um, and the fact is that, that you know, that's, it's, it was just that, it was a control tactic. And now that we're, we've moved on and we realize that women can have autonomy and are valid humans <laughs> in the world, um, you know, we really have to kind of look hard at this idea and where it came from and really just kind of put this in the past and just kind of stop blaming women for their the clothes that they wear, meaning that they're, that that's the reason they were assaulted. It's just crazy. And, you know, like I'm thinking back when I was a teenager and my first experience um, took place, I received some very horrible sexual comments from somebody that I was really close to. And in that time, the outfit that I was wearing was like a martial arts uniform. Right. Like if there's a <laughs> more unsexy outfit in this world, please show it to me. <laughs> and so, and, and there's a lot of pictures of women on in March that are wearing, you know, what they were wearing at the time of their assault. And it's mm -hmm. like jeans and and or like long skirts or yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's it's and it's really not about sexiness at the end of the day like sexual assault and rape is not about an enjoyable sexual experience no. it's about power and yeah, control, control. Yeah. Yeah. so oftentimes a lot of people say oh all of these folks who are lying about sexual assault and blah 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 but you know what According to Statistics Canada, less than one in 10 sexual assault survivors report the crime, which is what we mentioned earlier, but approximately 2% of sexual assault reports are false. So if you think about that, one in 10 sexual assaults are, are um, reported and only 2% are false. Right. So that's a very, very very small number and the the reality is that yeah. sexual assault carries such a stigma that many people prefer not to report mm -hmm. not talk about it yeah not have a conversation yeah absolutely it's i think it's really understanding the implications as we talked about earlier of disclosing this you know is very difficult and not something that people take lightly or do for a laugh or you know you know for what you know these other reasons that people believe they disclose it's just very very rare uh, i think it even tallies up with just generally the amount of sort of fake crime that's reported mm -hmm. um, actually is just very small and uh, so you know this segues nicely into this part of our conversation which is if somebody discloses to you mm. they tell you that they had this kind of experience what should you do yeah um i guess um what we've kind of thought about is that it, we understand that it can feel maybe shocking if someone discloses to you um, and there can maybe be a feeling of like panic or um, and Tarana Burke herself said this so she mm -hmm. was disclosed to when she was younger and she was very worried about saying the right thing and, mm -hmm. and didn't and felt like she didn't know what to say and we would really invite anyone listening who maybe has been disclosed to or is disclosed to that really all you need to do in that moment is listen to the person um, and ask them how best you can support them. And very importantly, tell them you believe them. Yeah, there's, there's a, a huge part of it is based on the statistics that we've just kind of gone through, 
uh, it's highly, it's most likely that they're telling the truth. So really kind of just validating that experience for them is hugely important. Um, and just to kind of be aware that they've already chosen you to mm-hmm. disclose to. And so they already, you're already in a position of trust with them. Yeah. So actually that's kind of half the battle. And, you know, like we said, um, if you're unsure what to say, like that's okay. Um, you can just kind of thank them for sharing and, and even say, I don't even know what to say right now. What do you need? Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's oftentimes a situation um, where somebody might disclose to you and you have had an experience. Mm. And the question is, should you self-disclose? Mm. And I think that's a very personal decision. Yeah. And yeah. you might choose to self-disclose or you might not. And that doesn't make you a bad person because you mm. didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, you know, Or you might say, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. I think... You know, you should never feel pressured to to disclose if you don't want to. Um, you'll probably sense in the moment if it feels appropriate. Um, and it certainly can be very powerful for that person to hear, you know, yeah, this happened to me as well. Um, you know, and that's not about monopolizing that moment for yourself. It's just kind of having that empathy of like, yeah, I, I know where you're at. I've been here and, and I'm here for you. Okay, well, we're coming to the end of our time for today. Um, we know that this has been uh, quite an evocative episode. Um, We think it's been an important one, but we we know it might have been quite challenging for a lot of people and we hope no one's been too triggered by what we've been talking about. But certainly if you do feel like you would like to get some more support around any of the issues that we've mentioned today, we're going to be posting on our Instagram page some places that you can get support. So you can check that out. Uh, We're on Instagram at naked underscore exchange. Um, or you can drop us an email at the naked exchange at gmail.com. Absolutely. And this is just the beginning of the conversation. I think, you know, we have a lot of topics to discuss, sexual assault within a relationship, mm. boundaries, why does this happen, yeah. toxic masculinity, mm. society in general. And these are all topics that we will be covering in coming episodes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just the biggest thing, Take care of yourself and take care of those around you, but primarily take care of yourself. And if after this you need to go meditate Mm. or clean your kitchen or have lunch or whatever it is that you do for self-care, please take a moment um, to process and, and take care. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next time, we'll be talking about STBBIs, which are sexually transmitted and blood-borne infections. Specifically, we'll be myth-busting herpes. Mm, Exciting. Very exciting. So thanks so much for listening, and please don't forget to review and let let us know what you'd like us to talk about.